Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 54. Hi, everybody. This is Gene. I've got a quick announcement for you. You'll notice at the very beginning of this program, Episode 54, there's a certain, shall we say, holiday flavor about the proceedings. The reason is, this was recorded actually back around New Year's, and we anticipated getting it out much, much earlier. Here it is being released in February. But, nevertheless, it's just the very beginning of the show, and then we get into content about the course, and we have a question for Gary and all sorts of our regular great stuff. Hopefully great stuff. At any rate, please consider the uh, <laughs> little bit of unusual holiday theme in February as just kind of a residual Christmas bonus, if you will. Think of it that way. That'll work out great. Okay, here it is. Time to enjoy episode 54. <laughs> Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your up-close, holiday-or-otherwise connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and Love Has Forgotten No One. Oh, a little bell for Love Has Forgotten every, every time a bell rings, another copy of Love Has Forgotten No One has been sold. Oh, I'm Gene Bogart, Gary's podcast producer and co-hosting partner, partner in crime as well. And it's my pleasure to introduce you to a man who really needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. Would you welcome, please, the star of our show? It is Mr. Gary Renard! Gary Renard, this time of year I like to always ask you a question. Have you been a good boy this year, Gary? Well, I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase Mae West on that. Uh, when I'm good, I'm good, but when I'm bad, I'm really good. Oh! <laughs> well, you'll get no coal in your stocking for a funny remark like that, Gary. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, so actually, uh, even though this is our New Year's show, uh, full disclosure, we but... transcend time on these programs. That's true. That's true. We transcend time and space. And, uh, you know, that's Force Miracles, and that's what we do. So uh, we try not to pay too much attention. Uh, for example, uh, we may be a certain age, but uh, we act 30 years younger. <laughs> 30. <laughs> <laughs> Often a lot more. The words infantile may <laughs> come up. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're having a good time. I, I feel very good right now, despite the fact that this has been a difficult year. I mean, I would say that uh, 2014 was one of the weirdest years yeah. I've ever experienced. I mean, it got off on the wrong foot. Uh, as we all know, four days before the year began, uh, Kenneth Wapnick uh, made his transition. Right. And that was kind of like a, a, a very strange thing, because, you know, he's pretty young, 71 years old. is not uh, very old yeah. at all. And he was in great shape, and he was thin, and he was so vibrant and alive, and more energy and, and stamina than anybody I'd ever met. I used to joke that uh, Ken was an alien, because no human being could have possibly done the amount of work that he had done uh, in his life. And, you know, I used to say, because I would go to Temecula sometimes and see him, and and, uh, he was always very kind, and 
uh, I would go into the library there, and uh, not really library, it's, it's a bookstore, but it's like a library, and, and you go in there, and you're looking around for 20 minutes, and there's all these books and tapes and uh, DVDs, and all this stuff is there, and after you look around for you know 20 minutes, you realize it's all him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's not anybody else. You know, it's like all him, and that's how much work that he did. Uh, in his life is just unbelievable, and it kind of like threw me a little bit, you know, got me a little bit off balance. Uh, just, you know, made me feel kind of strange that that would happen. And yes, you know, I forgave it, but uh, it wasn't easy because, you know, just three weeks after that, uh, Cindy's brother was killed. Right. I mean, and, I think we uh, spoke about that. that. Was that was terrible? What a tragedy! And yeah, yeah. It was a crazy accident, and you know, it's a total surprise. This great, uh, vibrant healthy guitar player, 44 years old, uh, maybe the most sought-after guitar player in Las Vegas. And, yeah, he was and, terrifically talented, yeah. Yeah, and then just this crazy accident, and that threw us for a loop. <laughs> it was just, it's like, what the hell's going on here? And all through the year, things just seemed to happen that were just crazy and uh, didn't make sense. And we just keep going because we definitely have that quality of perseverance and we have the forgiveness, even though it's not always easy. We always do it and we do it completely. Maybe not always eventually we always do, but maybe not always right away. And, uh, of course, the sooner you do it, the less you suffer. Yeah, it's really just, it's a matter of time and only that. Uh, You know, it's either you have any pain, any emotional pain like that, there's going to be suffering, but you can... Uh, you can undo that very quickly, or you can let it linger, in some cases, for a lifetime. Some people never get over it, but other people do, but it takes longer. So it's just a matter of collapsing time, as the Course talks about. In an emotional sense, it's the same way. You're just, okay, it's, this is horrible, it's painful, I feel like I'm suffering emotionally from this, my heart's broken. How quickly, if ever, do I want to stop that? Because that's what it's all about, is how, you know, and if you can do it quickly, the quicker the better. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we definitely had our share of uh, forgiveness opportunities this yeah. past year, and even traveling, uh, you know, just uh, so many canceled flights and, and delays and and problems. On one trip, I had quite a bit of money stolen from me. Oh. It's, just been, it's just been a really, you know, weird year. And, uh, you know, it, it's only about, oh, I'd say the last 30 days or so, things have started to really feel different, like they're getting better. Yeah. And uh, there have been a lot of signs, because we watch our dreams and we look for signs, uh, and I'm very good at interpreting uh, dreams and archetypal images that come up from the unconscious, and things are pointing toward, uh, you know, good times, good things uh, coming up. And I know people, right away, because we know how kind course students are, right away they'll say, oh, that's magic, and you can't <laughs> pay any attention to that, and, you know, and they don't understand that it's okay to be normal. You know, it's like uh, I was uh, looking at Facebook recently, and I described something that happened in the past and said that it had been forgiven. And all of a sudden, this person comes on and says, well, even if you say it, that it happened, you haven't completely forgiven it. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, wait a minute. Uh, if you're saying that, then you might as well say that if a woman is raped and she's forgiven it, that she shouldn't say that she was raped, and she shouldn't name the person who did it, because then she hasn't completely forgiven it. I mean, that is absurd. If you do that, 
then you're setting that person free to do the same thing to other people. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, and this is a thing that most people have a tough time getting hold of. And in a nutshell, forgiveness, I just uh, I forget, I was talking to somebody just recently about this very thing. Forgiveness, as there's a quote, forgiveness is an inside job, but it is. Forgiveness is what you do internally within yourself. It has nothing to do with the other person. You're doing it for you, not for them. And forgiving someone for whatever they have done doesn't let them off the hook. They still have to uh, account for what, if somebody steals money from you, you can forgive them. They still owe you the money. If someone rapes somebody, you know, the the, per, the victim, if you use that term, the, the woman who got raped or, or a man, but the person who got raped can forgive the rapist. It doesn't mean that they're not going to get prosecuted and thrown in jail or whatever happens. You know, it doesn't let you off the hook. It's just letting the person who, who has the grievance let them off. You're letting yourself off the hook. So it is two different things, and that's tough for people to get because in the human experience, those things are always so joined. You know, like, you know, you you feed off your hatred. That's, you know, we see these terrible things happening around the world with people doing horrible stuff, some of these terrorist groups. And we talked about that, I think, last time, that what is in the pit of their soul, if you will, that is so filled with that, you know, there's something there that they are certainly not letting go. And and this is what it turns into. So, the, you know, we do it for ourselves to get rid of that toxin. The other person is still liable. They're still, you know, going to have to pay the price for what they've done because you're still seeming to be in this world. Right. So you're forgiving uh, something that happened in a dream. Yeah. And that's why it never happened, because dreams aren't real. At the same time, events in a dream do appear to happen. Yeah. And uh, while you appear to be here, you know, you uh, act normal. You, you can have a normal life. The forgiveness is for you. You're forgiving people uh, for what they haven't done, because that's a way for you to be forgiven for what you haven't done, because it is just a dream. But at the same time, it's okay to act appropriately and, and to do uh, the right thing and to you know, kind of like uh, respond to the dream in a normal way rather than just, uh, you know, denying that this is your experience. At one point, the Course says that uh, to deny that this is your experience, that you're in a body and that you're in linear time is a particularly unworthy form of denial because you have to recognize what it is that you're forgiving. You can't just say nothing's happened. You have to forgive as you go along, so to speak. So uh, the things that are there for you on any given day are the things that you are supposed to be forgiving, and you're not going to be forgiving them if you don't recognize what they are. And also, it's like it's part of the thing where when you say when you're you're the dreamer, you you come to realize that everything, everyone, let's just keep it to people, everyone in the dream is is my creation. These are like characters I invented, like a writer or someone who's making a movie, and I've written the the screenplay, and it involves certain characters. And to some extent, I, I want things to work out good for the good characters that that are in my my fantasy world that I'm creating, including especially perhaps the one that I seem to identify with, the one that seems to be my own human character. Think of it like a human avatar. So I want the I want the health to be better for that one. I want them to to prosper financially, to have a a nice relationship in their life, to enjoy a, a good movie and a good meal, and you know I want nice things for that character. I never convince myself that it's actually a real person. But you can do both. You can see it as total illusion and still wish it well. And, you know, I mean, 
probably at the at the point of ultimate awakening, we don't even do that anymore. But when we get right to that threshold, while we're still on the lawn outside the gate of heaven, we can have released all attachment to everything, but we still can see the characters that appear to people our dream and wish them well. And, and let me, oh, let me hold the chair for you to make it a little more comfortable. I know there's no chair and I know there's nobody sitting down in it. But you can play right. the game happily. Right. The happy dream is playing that game without investment. Sure. You know, I like what, uh, you know, Ken used to always say about being kind, you know, how yeah. important it was uh, to be kind. Yeah, you're being kind to somebody who isn't there, but that doesn't matter. The point is that you're extending love, as the Course says, you know, teach only love, for that is what you are. It doesn't matter that you're extending that love into an illusion. Right. Uh, what matters is the love. You know, that is real. That is true. So, uh you know, anyway, the, the reason I brought all this up was because, uh, you know, even though my my happiness, my peace of mind is certainly not dependent on things going good uh, in the world, I think I I like to remind people that if they're having a hard year or if they're having, uh, you know, a time that seems to be full of forgiveness opportunities, I just want them uh, to know that they're not alone, that that happens to everybody at times. And the question is, do you persevere? Uh, do you keep going? Uh, do you keep practicing forgiveness? And if you do, then there's going to be a point where you have progressed light years in your spirituality by practicing forgiveness, uh, even when it's hard, and sometimes especially when it's hard. And if you don't do it, well, of course, you're not going to get the results that we want to get from A Course in Miracles. Yeah. When you were talking about Ken before, Ken Wapnick, he uh, he used to speak a lot about the uh, the decision maker. And when you boil everything down, the simplest equation is, am I, am I deciding? The one thing I can do is decide which thought system I'm going to think with. Am I going to think with the Holy Spirit or am I going to think with the ego? And that's it. That's, you know, everything else is just a, a, and really everything else is just an ego decision. Well, wouldn't you rather, you know, you got to take care of your cancer situation. You're not going to worry about a stubbed toe. So it makes all of these, these little differences that, oh, okay, well, I better go. That's more important. All these comparisons and separations and everything, but it's always that. And your only choice is, well, am I, am I going to think with that mindset or with the Holy Spirit's guidance? Now, the, the illusory character might still seem to have cancer, but I can be, as you just said, be kind to it. Treat it well. Do what you can. You know, I'm writing the story as I go, or it seems like I am. So I write a nicer story because I'm being loving and kind, but I know I'm with the Holy Spirit, and we're all looking at this as a as a fiction, as an illusion that we laid out a long time ago, and we're reviewing it. So the decision-making is always the one thing that we can actually actively be doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, I've uh, kind of actually gotten to the point here where, oh, the next uh, two and a half months or so, I'm uh, not going to really be doing anything except for writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've cut back a little bit every year on my travel. I'd say, oh, maybe as recently as four years ago, I was doing 40 trips a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this year, I'm down to about 22, maybe 20 next year. So I really have uh, cut that in half. Uh, which is necessary because uh, it's very hard to write when you're on the road. There are so many distractions and so much to do that people never see. And uh, now I'm really going to be able to focus on writing. I just stopped doing personal counseling sessions, which I've been doing uh, the last three years. I've probably done about 150 of them. And uh, Cindy is taking over that, and she's a much more experienced personal counselor than I am anyway. And she has the... uh, 
the background and the education. So uh, she'll be doing those from now on, and, and I'm going to focus on writing. And uh, that's good, because I am working on two books. I'm doing a book about relationships uh-huh. with Cindy, and I'm also doing the fourth book with Arden Persa. And will that be called, it's kind of the sequel, it's known as Love Has Still Forgotten No One? <laughs> uh yeah, well, you were calling it that before the book came <laughs> that out. Was just during during the uh, interregnum <laughs> that extended for quite a while. We <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, any day know. now, love will not have forgotten anyone. You know, so. <laughs> well, I don't know how many miles I traveled during that time when that book was. Oh yeah, yeah, but but uh, I am definitely making time now. Have you ever totaled right. the amount of of traveling trips that you've done over the last ten years or so? Uh, I believe it's over half a million miles. Miles, yeah. Yeah. If wow. you count the flying uh, time, that, w- that wouldn't count the, the the trains or the driving time. But, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I, I believe the only person, I think the, the top three people in terms of the number of miles that they've traveled to teach A Course in Miracles, uh, I think Judy Scotch would be number one because she flew over a million miles. Wow. Uh, to share the course with people, especially that first ten years that it was out. And I think the other two are, are John Mundy and myself. I think that we've uh, probably done more mm-hmm. uh, traveling than anybody else. And, uh, you know, well, David Hoffmeister certainly does his share also. He, he travels a great deal. So, uh, But I, I can't think of anybody else who's, who's traveled as much as the four of us. And uh, I feel good about it. For example, uh, I'm going twice to mainland China uh, next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the course is very new there. Uh, it's only been out for like three years uh, on mainland China. And uh, the Disappearance of the Universe has been out for about two years. And going there, I see it as a chance to kind of like help them get off on the right foot as far as understanding what the course is saying, because if you don't understand it, you can't apply it. Yeah. But I also emphasize how important it is to apply it to your everyday life and the situations and the events and the relationships and, uh, you know, I just see it as an opportunity to share the course with people and help to get the course off uh, on the right foot in all these different places. And it is relatively new in uh, quite a few places. And uh, I, I just kind of like, you know, enjoy seeing people uh, saying, oh, yeah, wow, that's what it's saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. Do you, do you run into, especially like in China, do you run into any kind of governmental opposition? Because, uh, you know, we always think of China being a communist state. At least old-school communism was there's no religion or no spirituality. It's the state, and that's it. Now, I imagine uh, maybe it's obvious that they have mellowed at least that aspect of it in terms of religious freedom and spiritual pursuits and things like that. Um, so it, has it been pretty clear sailing, or have you run into any problems that way? Well, uh, the person who's really done the heavy lifting so far uh, when it comes to China has been uh, Chaolin Caban, mm-hmm. who translated A Course in Miracles into Chinese. And uh, at first it was the kind of Chinese they speak in Taiwan and Hong Kong. Uh, and then she translated The Disappearance of the Universe into Chinese. And it was in Taiwan and Hong Kong. And then a couple of years ago, she also translated the course into the kind of Chinese that they speak on the mainland, which I uh, believe is called simplified Chinese. And uh, she's the one that really got it in there, and I would communicate with her. And she had to convince the government there that it was not doing or saying anything against the government. Yeah. Uh, I. I thought that they were afraid of God and that they didn't want people to talk about God. But that's not really what they were afraid of. What what they care about is that you can't say anything 
against the government. And you can't say anything that is pro-Dalai Lama or pro-Tibet. Ah. Uh, they're very sensitive about that, much more so than religion or God. And the reason that they uh, persecute Buddhists in uh, the mainland China is because of the Dalai Lama. They're they're very afraid of the uh, Dalai Lama. Uh, they know that uh, if he had military backing, the people of Tibet would support him in uh, taking over Tibet again. So uh, they, they're very much opposed to him and anything that has to do with Buddhism. But they're not worried about God, and they're very worried about anyone who criticizes their government. So uh, Chao Lin was able to show them and demonstrate to them, look, there's nothing in here that is against any particular government. It's about uh, forgiveness. It's about love. You know, and that's, that's the crust of the message. And when they got that, uh, and it took her a few years, mm. because, because uh, the course had been published uh, on Taiwan, uh, probably a good five years before it was ever published on the mainland, and she had to retranslate it for them, and ultimately she was able to convince them that uh, you know, it wasn't a threat to their government. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now there are a lot of people uh, studying the Course and reading The Disturbance of the Universe on the mainland. I'm told that when we go there, uh, we will you know, have classes that uh, could be like 2,000 people. And, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty hefty number of students yeah. to be teaching all at once. And, uh, you know, so we're excited about it, and we want to give it to them straight. Uh, you know, the course is relentlessly uncompromising, and uh, so are Cindy and I. And uh, we'll stick to it, and we'll say, look, this is what it's saying. And I know that there are already people there who are misinterpreting it, which happened in America, and that's you just have to expect that. But uh, we'll give it to them straight, and we'll try to... And say, look, this is what it's saying. Uh, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it, and you might as well know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah so that's the uh, that's the exciting part of it. And I think that, uh, at least in my experience, and, and you know more than I do in terms of uh, interacting with, with people of various Asian cultures, but it seems like uh, people with Asian background would be very receptive in terms of not having a lot of preconceived uh ideas in opposition to the basic outlay of what the course is presenting because a lot of people here in the west say it's almost too too asian too eastern for them the philosophy because it's much more like the Tao and uh, uh even buddhism even if you can't talk about buddhism in china still the, the precepts are very similar so i would think that asian culture would be more welcoming to the message of the course because it's it's more familiar to them to begin with i would think Yes, uh, I've found that to be true. Uh, we went to Japan this year, and there's definitely, and I think Buddhism has a lot to do with it, but mm-hmm. there's that uh, you know, receptivity to a lot of the ideas. And there are a lot of ideas in The Course of Miracles that uh, Buddhists would agree with, and, and vice versa. And uh, so there's that element to it that makes the Course more uh, you know, accessible to people in Japan. And there are a couple of other dynamics going on. For example, uh, even though we may find this hard to believe, there's still a lot of guilt in Japan about World War II, and yeah. it's kind of like passed on from generation to generation. 
and uh, there are other dynamics too. For example, I didn't realize until I went to Japan that there is no love loss between the Japanese and the Chinese. Oh yeah, uh, they they do not like each other. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they were traditionally enemies going back you know hundreds of years. I mean, there's a, yeah, lot, there a lot a lot of problems. Lot, yeah. yeah, there were a lot of atrocities committed by the Japanese in China uh, during World War II. Yeah, un- unspeakable atrocities, and uh, it's like the the Chinese are still very bitter about that, and the Japanese. Or still don't like the Chinese, but they also feel guilty about that. They feel guilty about World War II. And uh, the message of A Course in Miracles, that they are innocent, is a very welcome message yeah. uh, to the Japanese and also to the Germans. We also went to Germany again this year. And uh, actually, the two places where my books do the best, aside from uh, North America, is Japan and Germany. Hmm. But if they're bigger markets, and of course England and Australia, because they speak English, right. but uh, and Canada is uh, always done very well, but it's like, uh, you know, it's a very welcome message, that message of innocence, and, and they can start to say, you know, you know I, first of all, I wasn't even there <laughs> during yeah. World War II. Yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, this is a dream, nothing's happened, and I'm innocent, and it's a very welcome experience to start to get in touch with your innocence. Yeah, it's very freeing, because you, yeah. don't, you don't have to atone for all of this guilt that you thought you had to carry. Yeah, because they, they thought they had to atone for the sins of the Father, you know, right. uh, especially in Germany, but in Japan they kind of have that too, even though, uh, you know, they're certainly not Christian, uh, at the same time they have that feeling that they are responsible for what their family has done through its history. And uh, so uh, I can see A Course in is kind of like loosening them from that and giving them a break. And uh, we're also going to be going to uh, South Korea mm. uh, in the next year, and that's exciting. And uh, yeah, I, I, we, talked, we talked in a previous podcast about making sure that you have the correct Korea when you land, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially after what's going on here with Sony and everything. It's just crazy. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not going to land in North Korea if I can help it. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm, and I'm, you know, if if I uh, do, I'm going to bring my copy of Team America World Please. <laughs> oh, you'll, you'll do very well when you're there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, but they, Someone... maybe, maybe I shouldn't because that could be something that could put you in jail for 15 years. Uh, yeah, oh, very much so. Yeah, somebody mistranslates the title of your first book and they come up with The Disappearance of Dear Leader and that's it for Gary. You know, you're, you're gone away forever. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, there are some places, uh, of course, miracles is not yet welcome. Yeah. And, uh, and that's okay. I mean, it is where it's supposed to be. You know, I always have to remind myself, the Course says the script is written. You know, those who are to meet shall meet. And, uh, you know, there's this interlocking chain of forgiveness that the Course talks about. And uh, my forgiveness is connected to your forgiveness, and your forgiveness is connected to everybody else's forgiveness. And... Uh, it was hard to meet. She'll meet. You know, we just talking to a neighbor outside our uh, place here, and uh, he's he read my books, and he, he just realized I was on YouTube, so he's starting to watch some of these things, and he just happened to be talking to somebody in a laundromat, this uh, 28-year-old girl, and it turned out that she had read The Disappearance of the Universe, and when she found out that uh, our neighbor knew us, then now she can't wait to meet us. And when we meet, it's just it's just like because we're supposed to meet. But we we meet because these two run into each other in a laundromat. Mm. And uh, it's like the Course says, uh, there are no accidents in salvation. Those who are to meet shall meet, because together they have the potential for a holy relationship. 
And uh, that interlocking chain of forgiveness that the Course talks about, well, you know, we can't see it, but the Holy Spirit can see it. You know, the Holy Spirit can see the whole plan. The Holy Spirit can see how eventually there's going to be a full awakening of the Sonship. Everybody's going to wake up in this plan, which is perfect. In fact, it's already happened, you know, because the Course says, and we've talked about this before, but it's important to remember that the Course says that the Holy Spirit looked back from the end of time. So, you know, this whole thing and the way it's going to play itself out has already been determined. And the more I remember that, and the more I remember that the script is written, uh, the more I don't have to be uh, concerned about it or, or plugged into it or anything. I can just kind of like sit back sometimes and marvel at the way that it works and, and all these coincidences that aren't coincidences and all the people that we meet, and, and then they meet other people who they're supposed to meet, and uh, to see how it's all connected is really interesting. And uh, it's just kind of like makes you marvel at the Holy Spirit. And I think that's one of the reasons why, as I go along, I start to trust the Holy Spirit more and more. And uh, my faith in the Holy Spirit has been earned by the Holy Spirit. It's mm. not like a blind faith. It's not a religious thing. It's just the Holy Spirit has uh, shown me through the things that happen and the things that I am led to that uh, the Holy Spirit can be trusted, and the Holy Spirit knows what it's doing, and the whole thing uh, is a plan that can't not succeed. It has to work in the long run. Yeah. I, w- I was just writing something uh, last night, actually, to the On Course group, just talking about it. It was funny that that, you know, no coincidences, this stuff came up. The idea that the Holy Spirit is looking at all of this from from when time ended. The portion in the Course where Jesus talks about we're standing at the end of the journey, looking back, just thinking that we're reliving it again. But it's actually over. We, as the characters in the illusion, in the dream, it seems that we're moving in linear time, or at least moving through time, even though we may have leaps ahead periodically, but we still seem to be moving in time. The Holy Spirit is seeing it all from the point where it's done. So that's why when you say the Holy Spirit sees everything, it it's not even a matter of knowledge, it's a matter of perspective. The Holy Spirit is, is just seeing what happened from the point where it, it has all happened. So you can see, or the Holy Spirit can see, the big picture, the entire picture, the every element of the dream, and knows the way for you to come out of the dream. So that's when you when you identify, when you open to that, um, and you had also just mentioned about experience, and the Course tells us that it's not the intellectual knowledge that the Course contains that actually transforms you. It's the experience you get from that, and from practicing it, and doing it, and doing the workbook. And so the reading is part of it, and the text gives you the, the, the nuts and bolts, but in the workbook you put it together. You actually get the wrench, and you put the nuts and bolts together, and you build the thing that the experience comes from, and what you just said is perfect. It's the experience that proves it to you. It proves the Holy Spirit is working within you, that when you align, the circuit is closed, and there you have the information you're seeking, or the, the, the feeling and the direction that you're seeking. So the experience is quite real, and as you and I both know, once you, and many people do, when you begin to feel these experiences actually occur in a tangible way, you don't doubt it. You don't have any doubt at all. So <laughs> there's a beep in the background, but that's I don't doubt that that was there. So yeah. <laughs> that's the ego. The ego will do anything. It will. It will. As we have seen, <laughs> the funniest one was the sound effect at Halloween on that other show. And I was 
<laughs> I swear to people, I don't make that up because I, I did eventually add some sound effects later. But while we were recording, I said, oh, it'd be great if I had sound effects here, which I didn't have in front of me. And then all of a sudden, uh, like a random attempt at a phone call came in. Boop. And like, oh, <laughs> I mean, it was to the second, you know, oh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, by the way, if anybody wants to review what we're talking about, about the Holy Spirit looking back from the end of time, and, then, you know, the Course does say that time goes in two directions. It, it doesn't just go forward, it goes backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that workbook lesson, it's 169, uh, mm-hmm. By Grace I Live, By Grace I Am Released. Uh, that's where it talks about how the Holy Spirit looked back with you, meaning your mind, you know, from the end of time, and figured out what everybody when it would be just the right time for them to awaken to revelation in eternity, as, as the workbook lesson puts it. So I'd highly recommend that people reread that workbook lesson 169. Yeah. Uh, it's a good primer for uh, what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, it's helpful uh, for me to know that the script is written. It's like, uh, you know, it, it really helps you to just relax and watch it like a movie, because it really is a movie. The script is written. Uh, I don't think of myself as being Gary. I think of myself as being uh, an actor playing the part of Gary, because I know that I'm not Gary, and that Gary really has nothing to do with me or, or what I am yeah. or what I really am. But, you know, I've been assigned a role, you know, of Gary, so I'm playing this role uh, very much like an actor. But, you know, actors can be very good at playing the part, but it doesn't mean that they think it's true. Uh, unless they're completely they're, crazy. Right, unless they're completely crazy. They know this, that... Uh, I'm, uh, the I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Renard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I, I doubt too, too many of our... Uh, listeners are old enough to remember the movie Sunset Boulevard, <laughs> but uh, that's from the 30s, I believe. And, yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I drive on Sunset Boulevard, you know, uh, maybe once every week, twice every week. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fun for me, being a movie fan, to live here and, and to always see all these places where all these uh, great scenes have been filmed. But uh, you know, it's fun. So when it comes back to being normal, it's like Cindy and I will go out to dinner tonight and. Uh, that's our big vice. I mean, we don't spend a lot of money. You know, we, we're not uh, heavy spenders. Uh, Cindy's very frugal. She was brought up as a, a Mennonite, which is a form of, of Christian that's yeah. similar to being a Quaker. And, uh, you know, so we have Christmas, and her family, I mean, we give each other presents that usually cost less than $20. I mean, it, they're just really uh, not into uh, spending money, and, and they're not into possessions, and they're not into... Uh, things like that. So in, in L.A., that would be like a pack of chewing gum or something? Yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty much. And, but uh, our advice is we love to go to restaurants. And restaurants in L.A. are very good, but they're not cheap. Yeah. And uh, so that's probably where we spend uh, you know, the most money when it comes to play money. And uh, so we'd like to go, to go to restaurants. We're doing that tonight. But, you know, it's okay. The script is written. Uh, I heard a rumor, by the way, that uh, you might be uh, attending an Irish pub tonight. And, uh, you know, I mean, you don't have to uh, talk about it if you don't want to, but I, I imagine that maybe, just maybe, there might be a Guinness with your name on it. It's possible. In fact, I've been searching for that Guinness for many years. <laughs> and every place right. I go, I keep, I look, and sometimes it, the Guinness doesn't have my name on it, so I think maybe it'll be the next one. So sometimes the, the research becomes extensive. Uh, someday you're going to find a Guinness. It's actually going to say Gene on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> there was one place in New York that, that I used to go to years ago, and uh, the guy would, uh, the, uh, the the bartender would, yeah, what's the guy behind there? Well, that's right, the guy they call the bartender. Uh, they would kind of carve a, a shamrock into the head because Guinness has that real thick, creamy head on the top. And yeah. and if you if you manipulate the glass under the flow just correctly right at the last minute, he would make this kind of scripted shamrock that was really lovely. And so one night I come in and I look down and it's not a shamrock, it's a G. And he's like smiling at me like he made a G like for me. That's the one with my name on it. So, cool. Yeah. That's great. And I just wanted to point out a lot of people think that Guinness is German and it's actually Irish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Farrah Vergara. <laughs> Nothing German about it, for God's sake. It's, it's the holy water itself, Gary. You know that. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, we may. And by the time people hear this, this that will already have happened. So, again, we're transcending time. It's wonderful how, how doing the show, as we do, is actually, it's a work in progress. You you get to experience the the shift of time and perception that is what we're talking about. So we we are we demonstrate it for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And and I'm uh, I'm getting back to being a movie fan again because I travel so much. I don't get to go to the movies as yeah. much as I used to. And now I'll be home and I'm I'm planning on seeing uh, a few of these movies. I, I was you know planning on seeing the interview, but I guess uh, that's going to have to wait a little while. Yeah. But uh, you know some of these other uh, movies look very good. Uh, the one about Stephen Hawkins looks good. Yeah, yeah, that uh, does look really good. Yeah, um, was it the... Uh, yeah, uh-huh. And the yeah, other one, too, with uh, with with Benedict Cumberbatch, the name of the decade, but it's... Uh, <laughs> what, what's the... Um, uh, the the Imitation Game, I think, is the one. It's it's about... Um, uh, yeah, Turing, is, is it... Was it the, uh, the, the, the computer wizard back in the 1940s who came up well, actually, with... Actually, yeah, he made the first computer. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, it was... Uh, it was designed uh, to try to be this uh, great German machine. To, to crack the German code, which yeah. apparently it did. It saved yeah. countless lives. You know, so uh, have you seen yeah. Cumberbatch? Have you seen him? In, well, you've seen him. He was in the Star Trek movie, and did you, and he has played Sherlock Holmes on the on the uh, the BBC, the Masterpiece Productions. Have you seen those? Uh, some of them. He's really good. He's uh, incredible. He's getting uh, really great reviews. Yeah. And it, I think it was nominated for more Golden Globe Awards oh. than anything except uh, Birdman, mm-hmm. which <laughs> looks like a, a really cool dark comedy. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I want to see that too. Yeah. Uh, and oh, and Cindy wants to see Exodus. And ah. uh, I, I heard that that's uh, you know getting pretty good reviews. If you can overlook the fact that all the uh, you know all the uh, people in Egypt are white. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. And and it's always amazed me that everybody in ancient Egypt and ancient Rome together, they all speak with British accents. I have never understood how, how all those years ago they still had the accent perfected. It's amazing. Yeah. So. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I love movies, and uh, you know, thank God for Netflix, or I wouldn't have seen uh, a lot of them. And uh, we never get out to movies. It's only on on uh, you know on the tube. But it's not a tube anymore. We have a small little flat screen TV. But boy, pictures are beautiful nowadays. When we were kids, we never would have watching those old flickery black and white sets. You know, who would have thought yeah. we would we would have the kind of televisions that we have today? We live in the future, Gary. That's right. We I remember we when there were only three stations. And, yeah. Uh, you know, PBS if if it was strong enough for you to get it in. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, Boy, I, I shudder to think how much things have changed in my lifetime. When I graduated from high school, when you graduated from high school, there was no such thing as a microwave oven. Right. You know, uh, forget about personal computer. That was way in the future. Uh. 
Uh, we had then they came up with the eight-track player, which was a major <laughs> breakthrough. But it only lasted for a while. Yeah. And then eventually cassettes, which are out, and then eventually CDs. You know. Then oh, I remember getting my first VCR in uh, probably eighty-one or so. Yeah. And I was one of the first people to have my wedding ceremony videotaped, oh. <laughs> and it was like really, really amazing. And all the stuff, I just having a phone answering machine. You know, it's like uh, these things are yeah. so new. Uh, I mean, the the computer that they had on the lunar landing module wasn't as powerful as our laptops. Yeah, oh, by far, yeah, and took up a room, you know. Yeah, it's just incredible. Still using and, vacuum uh, vacuum tubes in those computers. I mean, that's how old it was. Hey, was we're we're so old. You you as well as me. Remember when when you went to buy a record album, you physically chose: Am I going to buy it in mono or in stereo? Because the stereo was a little more expensive. Yeah. And originally, yeah. I didn't have a stereo. I only had a mono player. So I said, well, so so a lot of stuff I just bought in mono because it was cheaper and it's all I could hear anyway because uh, the stereo wasn't going to help me any. But, yeah, I mean, if you tell that to kids nowadays, they look at you like, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Man, when I was a little kid, uh, well, we weren't uh, very affluent. We had no money. So we didn't have a refrigerator. We had an icebox. Oh. And I remember the Iceman coming Yeah, and bringing this block of ice up. You know, that he had with these two prongs he was holding it with and putting it in the ice box, and he would come like every week or something. Yeah, a big chunk. And uh, I remember them putting coal down the, the chute in the basement uh-huh. and the coal going into this big bin. <laughs> and it's like, man, everything is just like totally different today. Yeah. When, when I, I know this, uh, people at home are going, okay, when are you guys going to talk about the course? Um, but all of this has to do with the fact that, you know, it seems so real to us, even though none of it is. That's the point. It's very uh, convincing. <laughs> it is screenplay that's yeah. been written. Uh, the ego script, you know, is very convincing, and uh, the course, you know, says that the ego is is very clever, and you have to know what you're up against. And if you know the ego thought system and the Holy Spirit thought system, then you can choose. You actually have to know both in order to be very adept at what it is that you're choosing between. And uh, the ego's. Uh, movie is a very convincing movie, and it feels real, and it looks real. But, you know, I've said this before, but when I've been in bed at night sometimes having a dream, it was so real that when I woke up, I was actually very surprised that it wasn't real. Yeah. And it actually took me a minute or two to acclimate and realize that the dream had no reality, because when you're in a dream, that dream is your reality. And we're in this dream, and for all intents and purposes, it seems and feels like this dream is reality to us, and the only reason that we know better is because we have the Holy Spirit to tell us, well, there's a true reality that is beyond the dream, that is not in the dream, but is beyond the dream, and you can experience that instead. You know, you can experience heaven, uh, spirit, you can experience God, even while you appear to be in the dream, and that actually attests to the fact that you're in the process of awakening from the dream. Right. Yeah, one thing I can tell you, and I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, from going back to my big medical crisis and my either near-death experience, point-of-death experience, hovering at the threshold, whatever it happened to be. But ever since then, I have had, like, there's there's no question in my mind any longer that this is all a dream. I, since then, I just don't have any, I mean, it's still, I act as if it's real, and I'm not, I don't mean putting it on, you know, something happens, I do this, I do that, I'm not thinking about it all the time, but at any time that I stop and I think, it's like 
I know I'm just in a dream. I, uh, there's no question that this is not real. And it's gotten weird when you said about sleeping dreams, we'll call it, as opposed to this waking dream that we seem to be having right now. I get to where I can't tell the difference because they both seem like dreams now. And I've had dreams and I've had dreams within dreams. I'll have a dream and I'm doing something. And then at some point I go, now, am I dreaming or am I awake? And then I find myself and I'm laying in bed, you know, looking at the at the window and I go, oh, okay, so I was just dreaming. And and then some uh, sometimes I've even gotten up and went to do something and something didn't seem right. And I said, wait a minute, is this still a dream? And then I wake up and I'm looking at the window. I'm still in bed. And so then for the rest of the day, I don't know, have I woken up yet or is this still? Because it's all the same. It's always a dream. It gets kind of weird, but also it gets kind of cool because it's like, I never have to question. It doesn't matter what goes on. It's never real. It's always a dream. So it makes it a little easier for me at any rate to to open up to the Holy Spirit because that's the only thing that is real. You know, so that's my touchstone because I can't count on anything here. I could wake up at any moment and I'm staring out the window and I know that's not real either. So, so it gets kind of crazy, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, what do you, I, you know, I don't know. We haven't really talked about this in depth, but have I just lost my human mind entirely, Gary, or, or where are we here? <laughs> well, uh, it's okay to lose your human mind as okay. long as you have the Holy Spirit. Oh, good. Okay. Then I don't mind. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's taken over. But uh, speaking of dreams, uh, I had a dream that Cindy made a reservation at a restaurant for tonight, Ooh. which we have to go to. So I got about five minutes. If uh, you want to ask uh, another one of those questions, let's do that. Theory, I, which, I, I, which we covered so much actually the last, last time. I hope people appreciate that because we just really put our noses to the grindstone. We did a lot of questions. That was great. It was so, and we will we will do more, and we'll do more shows like that because uh, I think that was great. We de- we definitely have enough questions backlogged, and we're always getting new ones in. Um, and it's really great the way we can explore so many little different facets because a lot of questions are similar, but there's always a slight difference. You get to see this issue from a little different angle, and every time it becomes clearer and, and, and more transparent. So, yeah, I, I have one here. This is kind of something we touched on a little bit earlier, but again, it's a little bit different from that, and it's it's a good basic question that a lot of people have. Um, this comes from Doug, and this one this one came in. It was a little less than a year ago, so this is not one of the old old ones. It says uh, he's been along with his wife, a student of uh, the course for about seven or eight years. Uh, the one major either contradiction or a seeming confusion area that they keep running into is this. The course states that we made time and space when we, quote, separated, when the ego seemed to occur, and in that same instant, God gave the Holy Spirit as correction. It says, my question is an obvious one. If God, as the course states and teachers teach, if God is not aware of, of our ongoing mishaps and the seeming misery in our making of time and space, then how can he correct it? So it, it appears to be at the foundation of the teachings of, of a course. How how could God give the correction? And I, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but you you go ahead and go there. Uh, how could God give the correction if He's not aware of of what we're doing? Right. God did not uh, con- consciously give uh, the correction. That's metaphor uh, in the course, and a lot of the course is metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could think of the Holy Spirit really as being kind of like uh, the real you spirit. 
and we call it the Holy Spirit because we appear to be separate. Right. But the Holy Spirit uh, really is the same as God, the same as Christ. Uh, once you get up to the level of spirit, there's no distinction between something that you would call the Holy Spirit and something that you would call Christ or God. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. So you can think of the Holy Spirit as being kind of like the memory of the real you, the memory of heaven, the memory of God. And uh, you could never lose that because it's the real you, and the only difference is it's been covered over you know, by this interference that comes from the ego. So when the Course says that it, salvation is undoing, uh, it's not that it's changing anything about God or you, it's simply undoing the ego, and the ego and the Holy Spirit are apples and oranges that have, you know, two totally different uh, things going on. And as you undo the ego, that's removing the blocks to the, uh, you know, awareness of reality, that awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance, which is heaven, so really all that you have to do is remember it. You don't have to earn it. Uh, it was given to you as a present by God. Uh, you don't have to uh, suffer or atone or sacrifice, but you do have to awaken to it by undoing the ego. So, uh, you know, God didn't have to consciously uh, correct anything. The Holy Spirit uh, is a correction in the form of metaphor that comes to us uh, through whether it's Jesus or somebody else, whether it's A Course in Miracles or something else, uh, the uh, Holy Spirit is that which kind of like helps us to remember the truth instead of siding with the ego. And uh, the more we undo the ego, the more access we have to the real us, which is spirit. You know, it's like uh, I just got the impression of like the Holy Spirit is kind of hardwired, like in our creation, uh, maybe God was aware that creating as God is, we become infinitely powerful in our own thoughts. And to do that, it's like, oh, this, the creation that I'm creating, I'm not, and of course God wouldn't think in such a linear way, but this creation would have the power to screw itself up beyond repair. So built into that creation is this hardwired Holy Spirit link that will prevent that from occurring. Now, now the creation has to awaken from its own dream, because there is the freedom of of will that that this has as an extension of what I am. But there's also the guarantee that it can't go ultimately wrong. That it 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 may seem to go wrong for a long time, but this this will wake up, and this is the hardwired link that will never break. That by which it will find its way back to the full awakening that it was intended to have. How's that sound? Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's also why awakening is inevitable. Yeah. Uh, we can delay it <laughs> as much as we want. Well, delay our awareness of it, because, yeah, the Course would yeah. say it's already over. We are awake. We just we just think we're not. And when we wake yeah. up, it's like, well, what a stupid idea that was, you know, but it was only an right. idea that we already had. Yeah, these would be, uh, you know, this question that people would ask, though, some people still ask it, but, you know, uh, could God himself make a rock that was so heavy that yeah. he himself could not lift it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think the answer is uh, yes, but he wouldn't be stupid enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he could, but why would he? <laughs> right. Exactly. And uh, that's why I think that uh, the Course, I say it's relentlessly uncompromising. Sooner or later, it all comes back to the fact that God is perfect and doesn't have anything to do with imperfection. Yeah. And uh, this is all ego. But there is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is something that we can't lose because it's the real us. And that's what we're awakening to. And the Holy Spirit is spirit, just like Christ is spirit, just like God is spirit, just like heaven is that awareness of perfect oneness. And uh, once you're in the state,
state of spirit, it's all the same. There are no differences. But here, uh, words like that have meaning to us and help us to learn forgiveness and, and learn to think with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, if you want to return to spirit, which is what you really are, then you want to think with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you're thinking the way that God would think if he were here, but fortunately he's not here, because if he was, he'd be just as crazy as we are. So, uh, you know, we're we're just learning to think with the Holy Spirit, which, as it turns out, is the real us. So, uh, on that note, okay, uh, it's time to go. But, uh, yeah, this has been uh, a wild year, and I'm glad it's over, and I'm glad that uh, uh, I did practice forgiveness uh, a lot this year. I think I've forgiven everything. I think I've forgiven all of my relationships. I can't really think of any relationship that I have in my life that I would say is weird or has any kind of a you know, bad energy to it that hasn't been forgiven. I really can't think of anybody who, uh, you know, I haven't forgiven. So uh, that's good. It's kind of like, uh, you know, that, that's a big stepping stone. If you can think, uh, you know, there's nobody who I could meet now or run into on the street where it would be really weird. <laughs> you know, it, it would just be, okay, you know, nothing strange going on, no bad energy, no bad karma or anything like that. Uh, it's all forgiven. If you can say that, and Bill Sedford said that at the end of his life, then you've uh, come a long way. How, how about that, that bully from second grade that used to take your lunch money? Uh, well, I still think he should be killed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's apples and oranges. You know, <laughs> but I forgive him. <laughs> yeah, I, I forgive him. And, uh, you know, I mean... With, and I'm, I'm joking because, yeah. first of all, when people do bad things to other people, I wouldn't want to have their karma. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because whatever you put out there comes back to you eventually. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't want to be one of those bullies because, you know, somebody's not going to be very nice to them in their future. Uh. And I wouldn't want to have that kind of karma. And I don't feel like I do because I am good to people. You know, I am kind uh, to people. And uh, I'm not afraid of karma. I'm just saying that in the dream, in the illusion, what goes around comes around. And that's just the way that it's set up in the illusion. Uh, and the people who are with the effect of it, I wouldn't want to be them. You know, and I'm glad that I'm not. And, uh, you know, forgiveness can be very practical. It can lead you to very good things. Uh, it gets you more in touch with the Holy Spirit, because obviously the more you undo the ego, uh, the more you have access to Spirit. Everybody has access to the Holy Spirit, but... It's in undoing the ego that you actually get to experience that more and more. So uh, I'm, you know, very optimistic about uh, the whole idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, having a plan that works and knowing that the entire sonship is going to awaken. And uh, I don't see uh, any way that that's not going to happen. And I, I think that what we can do is help facilitate it happening more quickly because, as the Course says, the chief aim of the miracle worker is to save time. And in our experience, we can save, uh, you know, so much time by working with the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, getting out of here in, you know, one or two lifetimes instead of a thousand. And uh, that's no small accomplishment. And to connect with the world of Gary... What is that world, anyway? Who lives in that world? Well, Gary does. Uh, you can join him there if you'd like to. Go to his website, the eponymous website that he did name himself, GaryRenard.com. 
And you can go to forgiveness.tv to connect with all things about the podcast and other things that we're doing. While you're there, you'll notice all types of different links to different features. Um, our medical fund is there, and God bless everybody that has been working out just wonderfully for us. We recently had a very generous donation to our fund, in addition to many, many other donations. And it's all adding up. We'll have some, I think, pretty big news about my situation. That'll be coming up pretty quickly, and we'll keep everybody posted on what's happening there. But the link to that, if you'd like to check out our GoFundMe campaign, you'll find the link right at the homepage of Forgiveness.tv. You'll also find a link to the Forgiveness newsletter, and I do promise you, sooner or later, I'm going to have a new episode of the newsletter coming out. That's not to be confused with the On Course Study Group, the workbook of A Course in Miracles Study Group. If you'd like to join in with that, we're having a wonderful response, all sorts of people getting on board with the workbook study this year. The best way for that is just drop me an email, and we'll take it from there. The best thing is email me at gene at genebogart.com. And uh, I'll get you on the list immediately, and, and then we'll take care of the other details as we proceed. So for that, and to connect with the podcasts in general, always go to the homepage at forgiveness.tv. And the Gary Renard Podcast is presented by Enlighten Up Creations, distributed through forgiveness.tv. All verbal content of our program is copyright, wait for it, 2015. First time for that. 2015 copyright from Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. All rights reserved, all grievances forgiven, as always. Our next podcast will be coming up pretty soon. We already have a recording date set, and uh, I promise to turn this around more quickly. I've, I've said that in the past, and sometimes I succeed, so we'll hope for the best on this one. In the meantime, we are expecting to do several questions for Gary in the next episode, so I want you all to stand by for that. If you have any questions you'd like answered in a future episode, again, you can email me directly with them at gene at genebogart.com. For information on the On Course Study Group, put On Course in the subject line. If it's a question for Gary, you know what to say, question for Gary in the subject line. That way I can tell them apart and get everything into the proper files that it's supposed to go to. And until then, we thank you as always for listening to the podcast. And for those of you, and I do want to say a special hello to Andrew, who assured me that he is one of those crazy people who does actually listen to the very end of each podcast. So it's nice because as the Course teaches us, I think, when I am insane, I'm not insane alone. I think that might be a lesson, or maybe I'm changing it. But Andrew, thank you, and thanks to all of you who stick around to the end. We always have a little something silly and ridiculous at the end, like I'm not silly and ridiculous enough. But this is Gene Bogart in my own silly way saying thank you sincerely. I really appreciate not only you listening to the podcast, emailing me, joining us at the Encourse Group, helping us out with the medical fund. You guys are our extended family, and we really love you. I love you, and I just want to say thanks to everybody. And keep in mind, as long as we're feeling gratitude, there's one other thing we should keep in mind. That when it comes to any situation in life, no matter what the question, forgiveness is always the answer.
Well, that was good. I needed this warm-up. <laughs> really? Now I'm all set. Uh, do we have any plan at all, or are we just going to wing it and talk about the holidays? That sounds good. Cool. <clears throat> sounds very good. Okay. Helen's waving hello to you. Oh, okay. We're not on the air yet. We're just talking. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to be on the air right now. Cool. Cool. Great. Okay, so i got to run, or we're going to be late. But, okay. Um, okay, bye. Ho, 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 ho.